on. I'm on three seats. Look, there goes the game. You're listening to a summer edition of Ithaca Now, WICB's weekly news program focused on stories in the Ithaca community. I'm your host, Jay Bradley, and thanks for joining us. On tonight's show for Pride Month, we'll be taking a look at the LGBTQ community in Ithaca, its history, and how it connects to things like the art community. But up first, WICB News correspondent and former news director Bridget Bright took a look at the pressing issue of police brutality. The current Black Lives Matter movement is changing how police brutality is being discussed on a national level. But here in Ithaca, community organizers have been having these conversations for years. There is no doubt that the killing of George Floyd sparked a national, even global conversation that many cities and communities around the world are just opening their eyes to. But here in Ithaca, community organizers have been voicing their concerns with the Ithaca Police Department for years. January of 2020, the city of Ithaca paid $251,000 to settle a lawsuit alleging Ithaca police officers denied a former Ithaca College student his rights when they entered his home, pepper sprayed him, and arrested him in response to a noise complaint. Police responded to that noise complaint at Kyle Thompson's apartment on Hudson Street. Body camera footage from the Ithaca Police Department shows Officer Jacob Allard cuffing Goldstein, making him face a wall, and then throwing him to the ground. Allard then sprayed pepper spray into Goldstein's eyes from about a foot away, while Officer Daniel Bechtold brandished a taser at a crowd at the party. In Goldstein's lawsuit, he claimed the officers used excessive force, and it stated that Allard and Bechtold falsified their field reports to justify their actions. The city and police department are acquitted of all legal charges and deny the accusations of excessive force in this case. Kyle Thompson's experience does not stand alone. The much more public instance of police brutality in Ithaca is in the case of Rose DeGroat and Kaji Ferguson. On a Saturday night last April, police claimed they witnessed Ferguson run across the commons and strike another male subject in the face, from which officers then responded to and attempted to take Ferguson into custody, according to a statement issued by the Ithaca Police Department. And after that is where things get complicated. Mayor Savante Myrick released the police body camera footage publicly, where Kaji Ferguson is seen getting tased by an officer prior to the arrest. But even with the body camera footage, both law enforcement and the defendant 
offer highly divergent versions of Ferguson's role in the incident. The Ithaca chapter of Black Lives Matter, along with other local racial justice groups, have been organizing in support of Ferguson and rose to grow another person involved in the arrest. The public outcry and grassroots mobilization led to the acquittal of Ferguson and DeGroat, according to Cornell professor Russell Rickford. I spoke to Rickford back in the fall of 2019 at one of the demonstrations calling to drop charges against Rose DeGroat. What he said then falls directly in line with the conversations community organizers are having today now that the movement has gone global. Black Lives uh, Matter is a movement um, that was really uh, produced by young people, not only produced by young people, produced by um, uh, queer folks, um, produced by black women, um, and produced by queer black women, right? So I mean, I think what we're seeing is rather than a traditional sort of model of patriarchal leadership, you're seeing people um, that are historically on the margins um, that are taking um, center stage in terms of, of leadership. And that's very exciting because we're centering, centering those issues and that means a more progressive, a more transformative uh, movement. In Ithaca, conversations of police violence and abuse of power have been happening in grassroots organizations for years. And now it is getting a new layer of attention and urgency. Other audio from this piece comes from a variety of local protests that occurred over the last few years. For WICB News, I'm Bridget Bright. You're listening to Ithaca Now on WICB. I'm your host, Jay Bradley. Continuing our discussion of police brutality, ICTV News Director Erica Liberati sat down with Eric Akri director of the Africana Library at Cornell University, to discuss the recent events of police brutality and the Black Lives Matter protests that have been occurring across the country. This is part of ICTV's summer interview series. The full interview and more like it can be found on the Facebook page of ICTV News. And two of the big staples of Ithaca economy, Ithaca life, are Cornell University and Ithaca College. You have college students coming in. Mm -hmm from all over the country, all over the world, to study mm -hmm. right here in Ithaca. And we've seen a lot of problems of institutionalized racism, not just at those mm -hmm. two colleges, but at universities across the nation. So how do those schools do better? How do student organizations do better? How, mm -hmm. how does the biggest part of the Ithaca economy and the Ithaca life do better? Yes. Well, it, it starts with leadership. You know, it really starts with leadership. Uh, I can't speak to Ithaca College, but I can speak to Cornell. And the president, uh, Pollock, she put out some strong memos recently, you know, forming committees uh, within the library. Um, the university librarian, who's like a dean level within the library, asked me to be a part of a, uh, of a committee, of a think tank, to deal with these issues. So the, the leadership has to happen on so many different levels. But people have to deal with it because you have a structure that's been in place for centuries of, uh, you know, of race, racism, um, and so you, it doesn't change overnight, but the fact that we're now more openly acknowledging it and talking about it, you know, uh, that means a lot, but a lot of it happens with leadership. Um, and, you know, my question, there's a whole saying, there's a whole thing, at some point the cameras are gonna go off, you know, and, and, and you know, George Floyd's image is not going to be played on our TV sets and all these other things. That's to me where the work comes in. 
once the cameras are away. Right now, the, you know, it's, 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 it's hot topic of the day, you know, and you don't want to be caught on the wrong side of history saying something. But my question, my challenge to everybody is, what will you do when the cameras, will you continue to work, will you continue to advocate for change once the cameras are not in front of you now? Or it's not, now we got our sports back. Now we can go to Cinenopolis and watch a good movie. What happens now? This is Ithaca Now. You're listening to TV News Director Erica Liberati's interview with Erica Cree, Director of the Africana Library at Cornell University. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the big things we've been seeing in terms of social media is is, um, people calling for white people to educate themselves. I see see the book White Fragility behind you. And so what kind of resources does the Africana Library provide, not just for white people, but for for everyone to really educate themselves? Well, uh, let me let me let me say something around that. Um, yeah. One of the things, like when I say I work behind the scenes, for example, one of the things I regularly do when before this COVID nineteen, I was been doing it for years. I do Africana film series at Lifelong Senior Citizen Center, and this is for more people are more towards retirement age or close to it. And I show these various different African Africana style films, and it's really about teaching about Black history. And most of the people that come to that is white. And my attitude is to teach. Another thing I do on two of the, at least two of the boards I was in, um, History Center, we would do reading clubs. And uh, I would bring forth the, the works of James Baldwin, among others. Uh, the book, one of the books behind me, so you want to talk about race. I, had, I was on Synanopolis board, <clears throat> and most of the people on the board are all white. We read that book, and I led a discussion with a good friend of mine around that book. So there, there's a lot of things that, that, um, that, that, that can be done. I almost forgot your question, but um, um, I don't know if I'm answering it. Yeah, but, you are. You're doing good. <laughs> okay. What like, was the just kind of like what resources do you guys have? Oh, yeah, the resources at Africana. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, you can go to Africana Library's website, africana.library.edu, and we have many different library guides that people can utilize. I'm currently... Um, maybe two, one, two weeks away of putting the final finishes on, um, on um, Black Lives Matter guide. And the purpose behind that guide is to educate people around the issues that are being raised. And I think we have to be careful by segregating whites and blacks and Asians. Well, to me, we all need uh, education uh, in one way or another. And some people are in a different place. I know a lot of my black friends, they need help in terms of, well, how do I talk to, how do I cope with when people keep asking me these same questions or, or how do I, you know, I mean, the racism is interesting when this, I put it this way, when I, when this all went down, I had a lot of good white friends or people I know who reach out to me and some actually for the first time ever. And they're really concerned. And I felt, no, it's okay. Um, but one thing I've told one of my friends, ever since I've been on this planet, I have, um, I have um, felt I've walked around with a bullseye on my back, okay? And it's almost like you develop a second skin because every since I've been a teenager, there's different times in which I've suffered from police harassment, false arrests, and other things. And when they stop you, you know what you have to do. And that's the thing that angers a lot of us with the case of George uh, Floyd, where he did 
follow the instructions. He did not resist the rest. He, he complied with what he was told to do, and he still died. You know, so that's the thing that really angers so many of us, regardless of your hue of your skin. You watch a 21st century lynching right in front of you. They didn't hang him up by the tree. They basically pushed his neck into a curve and killed him. And um, we'll see what happens with that. I remember way back in the deep day with the Rodney King case. I was a keynote speaker. I, never, I remember the day when those cops were acquitted. It was the same night as uh, Take Back the Night in Ithaca. I was a grad student at Cornell at the time. And I was uh, one of the male speakers at the podium down in downtown Ithaca, the Bernie Merton Pavilion, excuse me. And um, I was going to speak about, and I was going to be support of this need to end violence against women. And I was going to talk to other men, what are our roles in this? Such as what I'm hoping what whites will do, what are their roles in addressing issues of racism, you know? And I remember it was that day I found out that this cop was, I was livid. I couldn't talk about anything else because here we had on film, at that time it was the videotape film of this man being beaten, beaten, hit over and over again. And with Eric Gardner, we got that on film from getting choked to death. And so now we'll see what happens. This one is a little different. This one is a little different, I hope. But I'll wait until I, I, I hold out, you know, because I've been down this road before, unfortunately. You know, I've been down this road before, as we all did. And, you know, my prayers go out to the, to the Lloyd family. You know, I, I needed to say that at the beginning of your questioning. Um, that's a courageous family. I mean, God, my God, I can't imagine. I remember my mother's going on 90. Just to show you about tra trauma and how stuff goes with you. And when I was a teenager, I was falsely arrested by two cops, one black, one white. And um, when they took, handcuffed me, took me down to the, to the precinct. This is around midnight, you know, in Montclair, New Jersey. And when we got down to the precinct, there was a bunch of cops there. One of them who was in charge, I guess, uh, whatever his role is, it was another black officer. And immediately I said, book him. So they fingerprinted me, threw me in a cell, never let me make a phone call. And then and, and they tried to get me to confess that morning by saying, if you don't, uh, you know, confess, we're going to send you to Newark to the juvenile detention center and don't do God knows what to you. And I said, like, you do what you need to do. I didn't do anything. And eventually the case was thrown out because I never did anything. Fast forward now, many years later, talking to my mother, he's almost 90 years old. And that one black cop who was the arresting officer, he's currently still alive and he's running for some kind of political office. My mother started talking about him. I thought I had to get on my car to go down to New Jersey to calm the down. She was still, it still bothered her to this day. It's still like, I, I kind of let it go, but no, no, that was like, that's her child. You did this to my child. And, 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 you know, I just see what it came now. If she ran into this guy, you know, she's gonna, you know, so I can imagine, I can't, I, I can think about it but what that family is going through, because that's your loved one, man. And, and, and thank God I wasn't killed, of course, but, but this stuff stays with you, man, you know, forever. You know, so I'm just hoping that um, my prayers go out to that family. Uh, what a family, 
you know, and, um, you know, it just goes to show you, you know, does it take this much to show the world that black folks were human, you know, it, it's just so sad all the way around. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for sharing that story with me. That interview was part of the ICTV News Summer Interview Series. The full interview and more like it can be found on the Facebook page of ICTV News. While this June has not been what anyone would have expected it to be at the beginning of this year, it's still Pride Month. And while people have taken to the streets to demand justice and social action, it's also good to celebrate what the LGBTQ community has brought to our local culture and history. Correspondent and former news director Bridget Bright in 2018 took a look at the art community's intersection with the LGBTQ community. Two weeks ago, I reported on the sentencing of Josie Barrios's murder. Josie was a transgender woman of color from Ithaca who was killed by her boyfriend last June. When I spoke with sources and those who knew her, they told me that Josie was well-loved within Ithaca's LGBTQ community and... She was specifically known for her performances with the House of Merlot. The House of Merlot is Ithaca's premier drag performance troupe that performed bi-monthly at the range in Ithaca. After looking into Josie's story and then the House of Merlot, I realized that there's more to the story of the intersection between the local LGBTQ community and local art. I found this on the local level in the drag community, but it's also true on Ithaca College's campus and in the film sphere in the area. First, let's talk about the House of Merlot. Like I said earlier, they are a drag performance group in Ithaca, but they are much more than that. One of their performers, Ray de Corazon, said that it's a community for people who love to perform and for people who love drag. Ray de Corazon is an Ithaca College student and a local drag king. He has performed throughout the Northeast and even internationally. He says his most memorable show was in Puerto Rico this January. Ray describes Ithaca and its drag community as unique. He feels lucky to have started doing drag here in Ithaca. They're super accepting to all types of performers as well. It's not limited to queens and kings, but there are like a lot of people that identify as kings here, which is cool. It's it's a cool environment that we have here. It's a it's creates a lot of opportunities because I don't know, drag is a thing that a lot of people in the LGBT community use to feel more comfortable with themselves, I found. Ray decided to do drag when he was searching for a place to feel comfortable in his identity. And it was fun and it was like adrenaline, like, and I felt like I had accomplished something and pushed myself outside of my comfort zone and I wanted to continue to do that. So I kind of expressed this identity that doesn't always get to be expressed. This brings me to the next realm of how art connects to the community in Ithaca. Ithaca College is nationally ranked as one of the most LGBTQ-friendly colleges in the United States. One reason for this is the quality of LGBTQ-led and inclusive student organizations. It was actually in one of those organizations where Ray de Corazon first performed. Ray's first show in drag was through PRISM. PRISM is a social and educational organization dedicated to queer issues, and it hosts the huge drag show at Ithaca College every year. Over 20 performers are getting ready for the big event that will take place on May 4th in Emerson Suites. PRISM organizes drag events like this main showcase, but they also promote other forms of LGBTQ art. They hold many film screenings and similar events in place of strictly holding discussions. 
Thomas Conti is the president of PRISM. For the gay community, it's just so important because it's still, um, a lot of people in the community today we solve these issues of like gender norms and all that sort of stuff. Um, and expression, so trying to prove that it's all one big like spectrum and it's not so rigid and everything's still a construct. <laughs> The last section of Ithaca that is celebrating the LGBT community through art is at the Finger Lakes Environmental Film Festival. On Wednesday, April 11th, the Fluff Festival had Rod Raman read some of her fiction and nonfiction work to the attendees. Rod is an international journalist who has spent a bulk of her career covering the LGBTQ issues in Bangladesh. She spoke about her experiences of being the only journalist covering the murders of LGBTQ people in Bangladesh. She had a deep connection to the stories that she told. Two of the people who lost their lives were her close friends. She had a deep connection to the stories that she told. Two of the people who lost their lives were her close friends. The friends she lost were both LGBTQ artists who lost their lives because of their sexual orientation and their work as artists. Just reporting on these events put a target on Rod's back, which is a partial reason to why she is now living in the United States. While she spoke about addressing this pressing international issue, she was standing in front of an art gallery with walls full of art made by transgender artists. Two weeks ago, I spoke to the director of the Ithaca College Center for LGBT Education, Outreach and Services, Luca Maurer, about Josie Barrios. He said that for some groups, Ithaca doesn't seem as progressive and as inclusive as it claims to be. But art and expression and storytelling in Ithaca is vibrant, especially within the LGBTQ community. For WICB News, I'm Bridget Bright. You're listening to Ithaca Now on WICB. Continuing our look back at LGBTQ culture in Ithaca, correspondent Jacqueline Agahigian, as part of our series Secrets of Ithaca, explored the LGBTQ history here in Tompkins County through a special walking tour, which the organizers have set up for you to take anytime. Love was in the air this weekend in Ithaca, and I want to know another secret of Ithaca in terms of love outreach and community. I talked to then Luca Mara, director of the LGBTQ Education Outreach and Services at Ithaca College, to give me a little info about a trail. But it's not just any trail, it is a special trail, a trail about history, community, acceptance, and love in Ithaca. Another secret of Ithaca. Hi. Sorry, now I just hit things. Okay. No, it's totally okay. okay. Hello. Hello. So what is the LGBTQ walking tour? I'm glad that you're interested in it. Uh, last year, a group of students and alumni and myself from the LGBT Center got together to document some of the rich history that is all around us on our campus and in our local community that has to do with LGBTQ life going way back into the 1800s and 1900s. Really? So what is the history with that in Ithaca? There's a lot of history. Um, first, I would encourage anybody that's interested to visit IthacaLGBTQHistoryTour.com. 
uh, which is our dedicated place where we put everything that has to do with the history tour. We have documented 32 historic sites over seven miles in Ithaca. Each site has unique and important LGBTQ history associated with it. And anybody who's interested can see more information uh, at IthacaLGBTQHistoryTour.com. But the easiest way to experience the walking tour is to download the, the free Pocket Sites app. That's Pocket, S-I-G-H-T-S. Um, and it runs as a, as a self-guided tour within the Pocket Sites app. And so uh, wherever you are on campus or in the community, you can open up that app, go to our tour, and either take the tour from beginning to end or put it in um, in sort of seek mode, and it will find the the nearest LGBTQ historic site to where you are standing. So if you're downtown waiting for, um, you know, getting to get your lunch or your dinner, or you're on campus and you have a few minutes and you're like, hi, I wonder what LGBTQ history happened here. Um, the app is designed so that it can find your location and tell you what happened there in history. That's That's amazing. So how did this come about in Ithaca? What is the actual... Like if you could give us a brief history sure. on that. Sure. So a couple of things. First, bars and public spaces have been sites of LGBTQ gathering and history for decades. And Ithaca is no different. And so we were aware of a number of stories that had to do with um, boycotts, um, police interactions with LGBTQ folks, and also some of the policy and legislative issues that came up, particularly around uh, marriage equality and lots and lots of those things had their start here in Ithaca. So really, yeah. So like yeah. the whole story of just the LGBTQ history is a, Ithaca is a main part of that. Ithaca is a main part of that. So from the early nineteen, the late nineteen eighties and early nineteen nineties, when Ithaca was one of the first cities in the United States to enact non discrimination law, to um, the fight for marriage equality during the 2000s and the um, 20-teens. Ithaca has always been a site of resistance, resilience, and, um, and LGBTQ folks and allies getting together to try to make a change. So what is the present, uh, like so far, like use of trail, like what, how is it, like is there any events to happen in terms of like with the trails or celebration? Is there historic, like, holiday celebration in Ithaca? I'm glad that you asked. So we've had several um, several special events. The biggest one that we've had so far was um, the I Love New York campaign from New York State um, included us as one of the must-see events during this 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Rebellion. Mm -hmm. And so over the summer, uh, I had the pleasure of doing a guided tour where I personally brought a large group of um community members all over town and and personally guided the tour. Um, I know that it's been being being used on the Ithaca College campus in several classes where students have been assigned to take a look at some of the history um, and then provide their reflections on that. Uh, and so again, anybody can take the tour on their own and we do organize group tours as well. Classes are doing that, programs are doing that. So one is uh, another thing that how did this like come about in terms of history? Right. And also too, like if I'm in downtown Ithaca, like, could yeah. you give me an example Absolutely. of like, something super significant? Absolutely. So um, this came about because there was a student who was interested in the stories of elders in our community. 
and she needed an internship. And she was very interested in the possibility of having an internship and talking to LGBTQ elders. And so I worked with her academic advisor um, to create an internship where making this tour could be part of her class, her classroom experience. So that's how it came about. And as she worked on it and uncovered more and more history by talking to elders in our community, we realized we needed more people on the team. So we brought in um, a couple of other students and an alum who has a lot of experience in studios like this in, in, in Park. Um, and that's how everything came about. What makes Ithaca uh, such a safe LGBTQ space? You know, that's a really great question. I think two things drive that. One is that this has always been a place where lots of LGBTQ folks have lived, whether they've come here for school or for work um, or because three of the seasons are really nice here. <laughs> um, four of the seasons are really nice. One is super, super cold. But but this has always been a place where LGBTQ folks have come to work, live, study. Um, and that's one thing that drives it. The other thing is, um, if there's a large group of people here who are interested in being able to fully participate in society, it also means it's a place that's been the site of lots of laws and policies um, that were enacted to support LGBTQ folks. And in turn, that drives more migration to the area, right? Mm -hmm. So I know that when I was a young person, I had heard of Ithaca, even though I didn't live anywhere near here, as one of the few cities in the United States that had a non-discrimination law. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. I want to live in a city like that. See, I would never have known that. That it, like, it, When they talk about in history in terms of LGBTQ like safety and protection and laws and regulation, they never discussed that. Like Ithaca was such a main thing. And even so, like when I was discovering like going, going to school here, like I wouldn't have never known that. Right. And that's the other interesting piece about preserving LGBTQ history and why it's so important. We as a community are one of the few remaining communities that don't learn about our histories in school. Um, they're usually not taught to us um, by our families of origin because most of us come from straight cisgender households, so they wouldn't know it either, our family members. Um, and so we have to really do some extra homework to figure out where we came from, what our, what our history is. So, for example, in Ithaca, um, one of the sites on the tour is Ithaca City Hall and the mayor's office um, because several major events have happened in City Hall and in the mayor's office that had to do with um, establishing and supporting the rights of LGBTQ folks, particularly to marry, um, since it's Valentine's Day, thinking about love and things like yes. that, um, that that's one of the history sites on the tour. Um, there's another um, site that I think is really significant. Um, it's on the corner of State and, well, you have to open up pocket sites. It's, down, <laughs> it's downtown mm -hmm. on the corner of MLK and maybe Cayuga or Plain Street. Um, it's the site of a former um, bookshop called Smedley's Bookshop, which was a lesbian feminist bookshop. Mm -hmm. And it was not only a place where people could find lots of great books and information, but where they could find each other. So like if you were at the lesbian feminist bookstore, you might look around and say, oh, these are other people interested in this stuff. So way before the Internet, before apps, it, it did sort of a, a first sort of. <laughs> if you will, of, of people. And you might find potential friends, um, potential lovers sometimes people found. Certainly people gr got great jobs there. They loved working with people and helping people in the bookstore. So that's another example. How does Ithaca, how does Ithaca, like with all of this, relate to even like Valentine's Day? Since it was like the weekend of love and today <laughs> is Valentine's Day, though 
it be Sunday night and it will not lo- no longer be Valentine's Day. How does uh how does this relate to like love in the air in Ithaca? You know, that's a great question. So I, I think I think like I said, I think a lot of this goes back to the idea that we as LGBTQ folks, um, we are here because of our resistance and our resilience. And I really think that resistance and resilience are ways that we show um, our love for ourselves and our love for each other, right? We have to sometimes, because society still uh, involves discrimination and stigma and homophobia and transphobia and biphobia, um, I think that the skills that we develop as folks who are part of marginalized groups help us, like I said, help us, give us a head start on compassion um, and generosity and hope and love. And so sort of big picture, big picture, um, we are part of a group of people that have been fighting for our right to love for generations. And so that's sort of that piece. And then, of course, the other piece is, um, you know, it's Valentine's Day and we live in a place with with we stand on the shoulders of literally of folks who made this history during times when it was much more difficult, where you certainly couldn't didn't there weren't any legal protections for for uh, for your relationship. There weren't any legal protections to pre- prevent you from being fired from your job if somebody thought you were gay. And so we know that people right here, right here on our campus and right here in our town um, have prevailed um, when circumstances were much more hostile. And, and, you know, that gives me hope. And, and again, you know, I don't know what, what love is if it's not, like I said, hope for, um, for things in some way to be better. And finally, as someone like me, I'm a cisgender straight woman. How can I get involved in the community? And even with this, with this trail to even get like a bigger, picture of the LGBTQ trail or just even the community spreading like love in Ithaca? I think that's a great question. So one thing that I really encourage anybody to do, like I said, is open that app and you don't have to take the whole tour. You can just take a look at some of the sites. You can put it into virtual mode and you don't even have to go outside. So on a day like today when it's 10 degrees outside, you do not have to leave (laughs) the comfort of your home. You can put it in virtual mode and it it will take you virtually to all the sites. You can um, see photos and video, hear stories that happened. Um, so one one way to share that love is to find out a little bit about the deep history um, that we have here. And another way to show that love is to find out if you're not an LGBTQ person, um, find out some of the things that we have to do differently in our lives um, because we're an LGBTQ person. Like like I said, like I knew when I was a teenager that Ithaca was a place that had that law. Um, why did I know that? Because it was sort of important for my survival to know I was living in a place that didn't have those protections, but to know there was one somewhere that, that did. So, yeah, finding out about those things. So it's like a little secret of like Ithaca, <laughs> like this little protection of right. like love and community and like common goals and spreading that. And it's just, that's amazing. I think you really said it all there, love and common goals and community. And that's, that's what Ithaca has been all about. And so again, Ithaca, um, LGBTQ history tour.com. You can find out lots more information. You can download. We even have a, a physical brochure now, which we hadn't planned to do, but which other folks in Ithaca were really interested in that, that highlights some of the things. And so I really encourage people to check it out and learn more.
Thank you so much, Luca. I hope that you have a good Valentine's Day. And you as well. You as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. You too can get involved and check out the tours and trails in Ithaca about the LGBTQ history at IthacaLGBTQHistoryTour.com or get the Pocket Sites app. Another secret of Ithaca revealed and more about love and community. For WICB News, I'm Jacqueline Agahigian. If you're looking for more on LGBTQ pride, community, and culture in Ithaca, check out the special Pride Month playlist we made on WICB.org of past Ithaca Now stories. And that's all for this edition of Ithaca Now. You can listen to all of our stories on WICB.org, and if you'd like to listen to past shows, follow WICB on SoundCloud and subscribe to Ithaca Now on your favorite podcast app to hear this show wherever you'd like. And subscribe to the latest to hear our daily newscast every weekday wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search WICB News Presents. For more updates throughout the week, follow us on social media. Search for WICB News on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Oh, and before you go, we have some thank yous for tonight. Manager of Television and Radio Operations, Jeremy Menard. WICB Station Manager, Sam Ives. ICTV News Director, Erica Liberati. And correspondents, Bridget Bright and Jacqueline Agahigian. As well as the rest of our station's executive staff for their support. All the music from our show's intro and outro comes from Dr. Dundiff, who hails from Louisville, Kentucky. Have any feedback, story ideas, just want to say hi? Feel free to reach out by emailing news at WICB.org. We'll be back with more full episodes of Ithaca Now at 7 p.m. on Sundays in the coming weeks to cover continuing activism, the pandemic, and its effects on people and businesses here, and other important news in Tompkins County. I'm Jay Bradley, and thank you for listening to Ithaca Now on WICB.